Hello, and welcome to a new episode of our podcast, EuroHealth. My name is Jan Klusacek, and our guest today is Professor Peter Pio, who is a um, special advisor to the President of the European Commission uh, on the response uh, to the coronavirus and COVID-19, and as well, Chief Scientific Advisor for Epidemics in the EU. Welcome, Professor. Well, pleasure to be with you. I must uh, start with uh, the big question that everyone is asking these days. When will the pandemic end? Well, I'm sorry, I forgot my crystal ball uh, <laughs> at home, but, uh, at home. but uh, I think that um, it is, of course, a very important question also because, frankly, we're all fed up with uh, this epidemic and uh, with all the restrictions and so on. And so we all wish we could go back to, uh, you know, to normal or go to the new normal. I, I would say that um, there is room for optimism now. And um, uh, but it's not uh, it's impossible to fully predict the future. But yeah. I would say that um, my um, rather optimistic side of my brain tells me that uh, the current Omicron vague, uh, wave, um, which is still quite uh, uh, heavy peaking and certainly in uh, Central Europe and, yeah. uh, and moving more eastward. But uh, if we look at the experience from UK and from Denmark, then we and now also Belgium. The the peak is gone, is 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 over. So we probably will see the same pattern. So that I think we can safely say that um, as of let's say the end of March, so uh, probably things will uh, be much quieter, um, and that we can be relatively optimistic for the spring and the summer. Um, after that, honestly, nobody can tell because it'll te it'll depend on a few things. In the first place, whether a new um, variant will come up, and that could also come earlier. But uh, you know, and there is now also already talk about so-called BA2 that's been documented in Denmark. But it seems that uh, it's not creating a really huge outbreak. But what I think will probably happen is then when the next winter comes getting colder, we spend more time inside, that we will see a new uh, increase in cases caused by, is it Omicron, is it uh, some something else? So in, in, in short, the, I don't see the end of the epidemic uh, close, but I see much better times and, um, and certainly for the, the, the summer. So that is the, is the hope we all have. Um, but it's the, fire, the virus who decides also. If the virus comes up with a new, um, you know, a new form that escapes uh, our immunity, uh, our vaccination status, uh, then we can be again in trouble. But I, uh, I, I have good hope. Um, and it also probably means that we can relax many, many measures. Um, but we should probably keep some... Um, Baseline. Personally, for example, if I am in public transport or so, I will always wear a mask. Uh, I had it myself. I'm also uh, over 70, so more vulnerable. Um, and that we are ready uh, in a predictable way, if cases go up again, that some measures can be put in place. But if vaccination continues, and particularly with boosters, we should go for um, a, a relatively... Um, you know, better summer 
better spring, but we've been wrong before. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you've mentioned something uh, really important, the new normal. Um, how do you imagine it will look like, the new normal? Do you think that there will still have to be uh, some measures uh, implemented, let's say, forever? Or uh, is it um, solely on an individual basis that when someone is uh, uh, feeling uh, not not well or when someone is uh, above some age, uh, age level, um, that people will still be more careful? Yeah, very good question. And, uh, um, and let me start with some uh, something different. But when I went to Japan for the first time, it was in 1981, And I saw people in the street with uh, white masks, um, not that many, but there were. And I thought, mm, maybe these are people who are, let's say, uh, uh, paranoid about microbes and all microbes and so on. And then I asked, and, and the Japanese said, no, 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 no. This is here. Um, when you have a dripping nose, you're a cold, or you don't feel well, you wear a mask to not infect the others. And that is not imposed by the government or whatever. It's now part of culture. And that started about 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. And uh, so that's an example of, a, let's say, what could be a new normal. Uh, it is, um, in this case, it's very altruistic. It's to not uh, infect your fellow citizens. And in Japan, if you uh, are... Let's say you have a, a bit of a cold or dripping nose and you are not wearing that culturally, that is certainly not acceptable. It is like if you would light up a cigarette in the in the entrance hall of a of a hospital here, you know, these before was no problem. But now this so social norms may change. Uh, and um, I think also maybe there may be less handshaking and so on. So that that could be. Um, but I think that it will be largely, indeed, um, individual um, um, assessment of risk. And um, I would say, for example, um, okay, my parents are both uh, dead now, but if I would still have older parents um, and I would go and visit them, I would uh, take a test in the morning and to see that I don't uh, put them at risk. Or so these things may um, become part of our the new normal. Um, I think there's another aspect, not so much to do with uh, uh, health behavior, um, and that is um, that um, with um, COVID we've seen that you can do a lot of work from home, and uh, not everyone, of course, if you're working in a hospital or in manufacturing. Uh, you're the fire brigade or the police, okay, you have to be in the street, you have to be in the, uh, you know, in the workplace, of course. But many, um, particularly in service, uh, you know, um, sectors and others, you can do from home. And I think that's uh, going to uh, to last, not completely, of course, like it has been. But um, personally, I never thought that would be That was an option. I mean, it was just not in my head. You know, when you have a job, you go to your office, you go to your workplace and you do your job there. And uh, so that, I think, is going to change quite a, a bit the habits. Also, the fact that um, there has been a boom of um, delivery at home in many, many countries uh, because of COVID. 
it seems that that's going to continue and so on. So uh, there will be uh, all kinds of things that we will probably in our collective memory will say before and after COVID. You know, like when my parents were talking with before and after the war. Um, you know, there is some kind of a collective uh, milestone. Um, but we also uh, need to have a system for um, predictable measures. In other words, the government, but the citizens also, they need to know um, when the situation um, uh, requires uh, measures. And that, you, and that, I think, uh, is something that every country now should uh, set up. And it depends, but it would, for me, the main um, parameters are uh, how many people are <clears throat> hospitalized, end up in intensive care and are dying. Not so much how many people become infected, because with Omicron, we've seen that many, many, the majority are just mild infection or nothing at all. But if you see a, a big increase in cases in intensive care, for example, then you have to be, oh, wait a minute. Now uh, we need to do uh, whatever, uh, mask wearing or uh, uh, avoiding um, crowds. Uh, you know, I think of the three C's, eh? it's uh, uh, crowds, closed uh, spaces and uh, and being close to, to someone. Um, but, but for me, um, we should by now have learned that the it is more or less predictable and that because for many people uh, give have the impression that it's a um, what we say in my mother tongue is yo yo you know you just uh, one day the government says this and then the other day something else and then they go back and so on and in the beginning I totally understand that because nobody knew had not been confronted with it but now we need something that is more predictable also for businesses they need to know and when can people come to work and so on. Uh, what about uh, vaccination as a part of uh, new normal? Do you expect that uh, we'll need to get boosters every year or will, be, will there be some um, new kind of uh, vaccine that uh, will be just like once every five years or ten years or something like that? Yeah, very, very important question. And uh, of course, I always say... Um, just imagine we would have this Omicron wave without uh, high vaccination rates. The hospitals would be full and we're mm. seeing it in some countries in Europe, uh, you know, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, where the, the hospitals are overwhelmed because they have very low um, vaccination rates. We see it in the United States because in the US, some states have very good vaccination rates, like in most European countries, mm. and others very low. In the US, it's very political, this yep. issue. Um, Blue and red states. Uh, yes, oh yes, yes. And uh, the um, and it's in the ones with very low vaccination rates mm. that we see huge mortality and so on. So in, I'm saying that because sometimes I wonder, have we made any progress? But then I was thinking, okay, think where we were a year ago, so things have improved. So then coming back to your question, that is that um, we, um, we need continue to be vaccinated. Uh, that's sure. But I think that for those of, of us who have had a full vaccination with a booster, um, that the uh, protection against serious disease 
against um, ending up in, in uh, intensive care and dying is very good. Um, how long this will last, nobody knows. Uh, how long this protection lasts. And also, uh, it's clear that we need um, a next generation of vaccines. You know, as you alluded to, uh, they, uh, an ideal vaccine for me is like for measles. You get it as a child, one shot, and you're protected for the rest of your life. That, okay, that's what we need. But is this possible for coronaviruses? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. And so well, we need... Mesos uh, yes, uh, don't have uh, so many variants, is it right? Full Greek exactly. alphabet. Yes, exactly. So uh, this coronavirus change, it's like influenza. Mm -hmm. the, the flu vaccine is also has to change every year. So there is on the one hand research that is started now for a vaccine that is going to protect against all the variants, present and future. Who knows what they will be? So looking for some conserved part of the virus and that we, uh, you know, have immunity against and that would protect us. Two, that with longer lasting um, protection. And three, um, that could also protect against in infection. And that probably means that, for example, we need um, protection at the level of the nose and the mouth. Uh, at the moment, the vaccines are really good against severe disease, but there, uh, you know, they, they rapidly become ineffective against uh, becoming infected. And that is, that's research. So I, from where I am as advisor uh, to the president of the European Commission, so one, my, one of my points is that while we're dealing with the current um, wave, uh, and that's going, I think, relatively well, um, we need to think of the winter, the next winter and, and autumn. And um, I would say that most likely, certainly people who are um, the elderly, who are immunocompromised and have major problems like uh, diabetes and, uh, you know, very obese, they will probably need a boost, uh, an injection before the winter. Just And I would say, let's, like myself, I got a um, COVID vaccine in my left arm and uh, influenza in my right arm. Okay, uh, maybe that's the way we're going. Whether this will be necessary for the whole population, it's a bit early to say. And I think we can go to a system where we're either with the current vaccines, we have an annual vaccination. But I hope that we will come with vaccines that it may be uh, ideally only once in your life, no longer or, um, you know, every five years and so. Uh, and this is where we need um, um, more intensive uh, research and uh, and that's what for example in the eu has established now hera the health emergency uh, response authority and one of the, uh, the the missions is to um to invest in vaccines that are you know going to protect us against everything so that's one of the of the jobs and of course in in many uh, countries and also have some um antivirals you know drugs and And I know Czech Republic has a very uh, illustrious history of uh, developing um, yeah. antiviral, discovering. Uh, you, you are very strong in chemistry and biochemistry. So, um, so I'm looking also at you to, for new, um, you know, for new drugs. 
Well, not me personally, but I believe we yeah. have uh, <laughs> pretty good scientists Absolutely. who can <laughs> uh, yeah. look on that. But let's circle, uh, let's circle back to you personally. You are chief scientific advisor uh, for epidemics uh, and pandemics. What does it actually mean? Well, it means that um, I'm uh, collecting uh, up-to-date information, scientific information on the epidemic. Uh, for example, uh, early signs that there is a new variant, for example, and what does it mean? So in order to do that, I need to be in touch with uh, um, laboratories, with uh, uh, with scientists and epidemiologists all over Europe and all over the world, because, for example, the Omicron that was first detected in South Africa. But personally, I have worked myself um, uh, in several places in Europe, but also in the US, in uh, you know, in in Asia, in several places in South Africa. So I have these connections. And then, secondly, um, I chair um, together with Commissioner Stella Kiriakides, the Health Commissioner. Uh, every two weeks and sometimes every week, um, a platform of uh, the national COVID coordinators of every single member state of the uh, of the EU, and people report. And that that's that this is uh, very important to to know um, before it's in the media, before it's published and so on. So people present the the latest, and we learn from each other. And then I'm trying to. Um, to help the uh, European Commission and some member states to uh, to formulate the whatever policies. But I, I fully understand that there is scientific advice, but then politician has to take into account many other uh, elements. And uh, so to make sure that they can take in, in uh, decisions in the best informed way uh, possible. Okay, you mentioned uh, working with uh, scientific information, uh, and uh, well, you have uh, lifelong experience with dealing with scientific information. But uh, for let's say average EU citizen, it's uh, it's not so simple to find a way around uh, wh what is actually scientific and what what is not. Uh, everyone would prefer to just have uh, uh, some scientific fact like the earth is a globe and okay, it's not flat, then it, it's done and uh, uh, we are sure about that. And But it's not it's not the same uh, when it comes to COVID. Actually, it's uh, just the other way around. The, the information and the, the scientific information, even from respectable sources, uh, are changing uh, quite, uh, quite often. Um, once it is like, okay, this uh, vaccination is the end, we actually had a campaign that uh, the vaccination is a full stop of uh, of the pandemic and obviously it's not uh, it's not uh, like that uh, uh, former minister of health in the Czech republic uh, said that uh, well once you are vaccinated with uh, two uh, two doses uh, two jabs you are um, in virtually zero risk to be uh, to be infected which we know is not uh, is not uh, like that uh, these days so how should average citizen deal with uh, this situation this is a fundamental question because trust of the citizens in not only the government but in the science is uh, uh, is really key and one of the biggest challenges for this epidemic has been how to manage uncertainty. It's much better than, let's say, than two years ago. We had no idea. I mean, in the beginning, 
um, you know, I I, uh, I knew that this was bad because for many years I've had um, I gave a speech, and the title was uh, in English, um, "Are we ready for the next pandemic?" Because I've been working on Ebola virus, uh, on uh, uh, various epidemics, on HIV and so on. So, and I was convinced there will be an epidemic. Um, but then when the reality hits, you know, it's very challenging. And so particularly, um, uh, you know, politicians had to take decisions on the base of not much information. Very So that takes, I would not have liked to be in their position. Uh, and many of these measures were very unpopular uh, for, for understandable reasons. Uh, so that's one point. And then secondly, um, for vaccination, uh, first I was, um, I thought it would take at least two years to develop a vaccine and I was certain, I'm not sure that we will be able to have one, one because I've worked a lot of my life on, uh, you know, on HIV and uh, HIV AIDS was discovered in uh, 1981. So more than 40 years ago, later, we still don't have a vaccine. Uh, and it's so complicated. Yeah. And it's not because there was no in, in investment. Billions have been invested. It's actually so the, 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 the other way around then uh, with, with COVID. For COVID, we have vaccine, but uh, no sure treatment and uh, uh, or yes. uh, let's say stabilizing treatment. Yeah, very good point. And so but then when the vaccine came, I was also very enthusiastic and I was like many, um, was probably too optimistic, not probably, definitely, but too optimistic, because the um, the clinical trials showed very good protection over 90% and so on, so very good. Um, and um, But then, when uh, particularly when this uh, Delta um, wave came, this a new uh, variant of uh, SARS-CoV-2, as the virus is called, uh, then it showed that um, the vaccination is one uh, the duration of protection is is limited. Uh, it doesn't protect. So we we were clearly op too optimistic. But now I would say the following: um, without vaccination, there is no way we can bring it under control. So it is really saving probably millions of lives in the end. So that is a given. However, it's not enough. It's not enough, and um, hence you know uh, vaccination. And we needed this boost. And I would argue now that you need three uh, injections to have the full vaccination. And I hope, and that's that that exists for some um, other vaccines, for example, against hepatitis uh, B. Uh, so it's not new. And for the elderly, the elderly people, uh, they in general um, react not as well uh, to vaccines. I mean, they react well to no side effects, but they, the protection is not so good because our immune system, when we're getting very old, you know, it goes down, down, down. Um, and uh, so we, we need to uh, a combination of, of measures um, and hope, I still hope that one day we'll, be, we'll have a, uh, the perfect vaccine. Okay, let's hope so. Um, yes. 
Well, um, you mentioned um, uh, something that I, I fully fully agree with. That I actually wrote it uh, in some commentary in a newspaper that uh, the the COVID crisis in Czech Republic was uh, mostly a crisis of uh, of trust trust in the go- in the government and trust that uh, the government actually does the best for for the population. And um, uh, do you uh, do you have any uh, comparison on uh, reaction of uh, Uh, um, respective governments uh, in the EU, uh, how they reacted and to what measures were actually uh, the best and uh, what didn't uh, work. Because um, in Czech Republic, we had uh, really strict measures. We had uh, uh, our schools were, were closed uh, for a very long time. Um, our restaurants were closed for a very long time. And uh, still we have one of the worst um, statistics um, concerning death uh, in the in the whole EU. So w- w- why, why did it happen? Yes, well, this is, I don't think we have a clear answer. But first of all, Trust is so important. Look at vaccination. There's um, 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 in most countries, the overwhelming majority of people of adults are va- vaccinated and accepted. It. But there is um, vaccine. Let's call it diplomat hesitancy or people who are absolutely against vaccination. And uh, and uh, whereas I think it's uh, absolutely normal and I think healthy in democracy that you ask questions. Okay, this vaccine was developed in. Um, In 10 months, uh, is it well? Is it okay? Didn't they take shortcuts and so on? So, okay, th- this is valid. I, I have no problem with that. But then you have people who are dead against it because they don't want the state to control their lives. They think there's a conspiracy that Bill Gates put a, a chip in your body to control you. Etc. I mean, from reasonable to completely absurd things. And then sometimes it's purely political, and that is uh, particularly in the U.S. but some bit in Europe as well. And we've seen also um, in uh, I was on the uh, in a meeting uh, of this uh, platform, and we hear from like the the Nordic countries. Um, there, there is a, a high, high high trust in government in general. Nothing to do with the COVID, but in general, when government says something, they don't have to be. No, people do it. And uh, for example, now Denmark and Norway and Sweden and Finland, they are relaxing the measures, but people are asked to be to behave, you know, and so and they do. Hmm. In other parts of Europe, that's not the case. Uh, and, so, and a lot of it is uh, has historic grounds, uh, a mistrust of government because governments have, you know, misbehaved. So I can understand that. Um, and And then we have another issue, and that is, for example, Uh, Spain and Italy were very badly hit in the beginning. Italy, the first country. Well, they're now among the best ones in the, uh, you know, in in Europe. Germany did very well in the beginning, and now uh, also uh, has relatively lower uh, vaccination rates and uh, and problems. So I I think we need to look at this from a. This is not a medical issue as far as I'm concerned. It is a, an issue uh, more uh, in scientific terms of uh, political science and social science and and uh, how people uh, collectively uh, react. We see these big demonstrations in some countries. Um, in Brussels, we have riots. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think your point is that trust is absolutely fundamental, not only for COVID, but it will be 
also be very important for many other things. Think oh, of yes. climate change. We have climate change. We will need a lot of measures, not just for two or three years, or three years like for COVID, but for a generation. Very unpleasant, maybe expensive how to do. And then there's the whole trust in, in the political system, of course. But um, I, I think that that's one of the fundamental issues um, for democracy and for uh, our, yeah, for Europe and for each uh, member state, uh, not only for health, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, do you think that uh, one of the reasons why uh, there is this mistrust uh, might be uh, might be that uh, the response for uh, COVID was uh, based uh, merely on uh, scientific uh, uh, information from um, healthcare uh, scientists and not from uh, uh, or medical scientists and not from uh, people with expertise in sociology, psychology, at uh, uh, etc. Maybe lawyers, uh, even. Um, Since I spend a lot of my life, uh, professional life, working on HIV, and there we've always had a strong um, uh, collaboration between the more the medical scientists, the social scientists, political, but also the people themselves. Um, when I, uh, in um, May 2020, I came out to say so, I published and I gave interviews because I had been in the hospital, I had long COVID and so on. That was not to promote myself, but to the fact that I was very unhappy with the the information about COVID. It was all about statistics, flattening the curve, saving. I was then living in in London, in the uh, in England, and um, and then maybe as an afterthought, thought about uh, people and that people die, and I got really upset about that because I had been in you know, in the hospital and with uh, oxygen and pretty bad off. And I said, this is about people. And uh, and I was convinced that this would go on for quite a while. So then you need to listen to people. I mean, I think communicators, people who are in the media, traditional, uh, new media, and big and small, whatever, local level, um, they should be uh, really involved in this in developing the policies, not to do what some politicians do and just follow the opinion polls. No, but if you don't know what the opinion polls say, what people live, um, and that can be unpleasant for whoever is in in science, or in, but you need to know. And, and it has to be, I think, also more granular. I mean, the, the average opinion in a, at the level of a nation, that's interesting to know, but that's not, uh, it's made up of We have different subcultures and in, in every country and uh, and in the capital, they think differently from in a rural area, etc. And a and a 20 year old and, and an 80 year old, etc. etc. So men and women. So I I I've always been a um, a big advocate for what we call in our scientific jargon the multidisciplinary approach and where the social sciences are done. I have a very big place. When I was the director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine until uh, July um, last year, uh, we strengthened enormously, um, you know, social sciences. Uh, because if you you can have the best vaccine in the world, but if people don't want it or don't, it's not going to work. Eh? It's not going to protect. 
And uh, of course, I'm a bit biased because my wife is an anthropologist, so I'm and a communication person, so yeah. I, I'm kind of uh, get that message uh, <laughs> at home. But uh, but I, I was convinced of that before we met, anyway. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, do you think that um, uh, the Austrian approach with uh, uh, vaccination mandates uh, is uh, something that uh, could be an inspiration for other countries, or d- does it actually make sense to uh, start uh, mandatory vaccination or to require uh, vaccination at uh, the at the end of the last uh, last wave before before the summer? that you, as you mentioned well, yeah. should be quieter last week we had a debate in belgian parliament it was uh, the commission on the subcommittee on health and had hearings i think about 30 people and uh, and basically with some exceptions from uh, some medical um, organizations the conclusion was that it was not recommended to have a um, generalized compulsory vaccination where there is a great majority of people think that healthcare workers, people who um, work in homes for the elderly, they should be vaccinated because they are exposing uh, the most vulnerable in society to risks. I mean, if you deal with cancer patients, with I mean, even if vaccines are not 100%, you need to do everything you can to diminish the risk. That is the duty of a doctor, of a nurse and so on. So that was concern. But for the general uh, mandate for the whole population, uh, here was not so much uh, support also because um, the uh, vaccination rate is very high. So what are you going to gain? Not that much. Um, and it's very divisive and it's a bit late. The vaccine is not perfect. So here, uh, no support. It may be in countries where this very low vaccination rate Maybe that's uh, it could be, uh, you know, debated. Um, I, you know, let's not forget there are this um, compulsory vaccination for polio in many countries. Uh, that's still there, but for children in other Italy and France, they have and some others have compulsory vaccination for a lot of childhood diseases. So I'm not against it, but I think you need to to know what are you gaining. Uh, and in which context, um, and uh, and I think at least there needs to be a healthy uh, debate. So I don't know enough about uh, Austria to make a judgment. I'm not diplomatic, but just to, but um, I, I think that uh, it depends. And then also, um, just okay, it's it's done. So what are you gonna uh, achieve? Uh, there is a. Um, Uh, financial fine, you know, you have to pay something, but are you going to really force people to uh, to get a shot and so on? So how do you do that? Um, but so I, I really think coming back to what you raised before is that we need to listen to people. We need to investigate how can we do better. And I think what we can do on a voluntary basis is, is better. Um, and for that, if we know that in a particular group in society, age group, or a particular area, or religious, whatever it is, then we can concentrate our efforts and um, and work with them, um, because in general, most people are pretty reasonable and can be convinced. But if it's imposed, some will say absolutely not. Um, 
but um, it's not going to be possible, I think, in um, in Europe to have one uh, uniform uh, policy for that. Mm -hmm. Also, because we are uh, our history. If one thing in Europe is we all have bagage, you know, history, yeah. and yeah. that makes Europe so wonderful, but and diverse, but also complicated. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, you, you are working for the president uh, of the European Commission. Uh, so, um, what is it exactly that the European Commission can do in uh, the area of uh, pandemic uh, response? We know that uh, um, healthcare is mostly a responsibility of the member states. So, uh, what is it that we can hope uh, uh, EC to uh, to help uh, member states with? Indeed. Uh, health is not a legal competency of the uh, European mm -hmm. Union. And uh, and I think there's a good reason that, for example, healthcare is not uh, something that you can handle at a European level. Every country has specific systems and uh, ground in history very often, like, like Germany, it goes back to German, to Bismarck. Um, however, viruses don't uh, know borders. And don't need a visa or a passport and uh, uh, and so there uh, i think for epidemics in the future uh, we need um, some um, european um, coherence and, and and action possibilities and let me give a few examples i think uh, a real success has been the procurement of vaccines for the, all the member states and i think uh, coming from a, a small country belgium um, that's very appreciated because smaller countries would have been at the end of the queue for uh, buying vaccines. So that was brought some e equality in there. Secondly, um, there is a, um, a digital certificate and a, a vaccine certificate that for that's valid all over uh, Europe. I was recently in the United States, and you know that's one sovereign country because the EU is not one country; it's a you know a union. Um, in the in the US, um, you know, there is not one uh, certificate. Uh, every state has a different one, sometimes even within one state. Uh, and it's a complete mess uh, to to know if someone has a, has a valid uh, vaccination or not. So that has been there. And then something different, but um, the uh, freedom of circulation of goods in the early days of the epidemic Several countries closed the borders. Oh, yeah. Um, Czech, Czech Republic oh, as well, unfortunately. Yes, yeah, and also uh, some countries banned the export of diagnostics or of uh, protective material and so on. And if every country starts doing that, this is not a matter of ideology, so we're very practical. Then we're all suffering because our economies are so integrated. Um, and that was, uh, I think, resolved thanks to action at the uh, EU level uh, by creating so-called green corridors and so on. So that's, uh, and now I think the um, the fact that uh, COVID was discussed in at the European Council level, at the level of the prime ministers, I think that's also important that they could uh, in a show because this is a matter of leadership, but also. Um, now looking to the future is that we need to uh, to be better prepared. That's why uh, HERA was uh, uh, established, the Health Emergency Research Authority, so that there is an instrument which we didn't have, um, and that there are 
also um, regular, um, uh, to say, information sharing, because knowing early in an epidemic is very important. But it's not enough to to know it, but also to share this with your neighbors, with others, and that doesn't always happen. So that's another uh, area where the yeah a health union could make a difference for everybody. Mm-hmm. And. Um what could the uh, European Union uh, do to prevent uh, further pandemic of this uh, of this scale um, on the on the global on the global level? Is it uh, about uh, better communication with uh, other countries where uh, it uh, could start better information sharing? Uh, is it about um, uh, better support of uh, poor countries with uh, limited access to vaccines and tests, etc.? It's all of the above in the sense that, um, first of all, uh, you need to know. So early information within the EU, so we have to share in that information, yeah. and that does not always happen, but uh, it, I think with this epidemic has gotten better. We also have European Centers for Disease Control, which has to be stronger for to do that. But then also, um, you know, an, an epidemic and uh, a new virus can come from anywhere in the world. It can come from within Europe. Uh, one variant uh, came from England. Okay, no longer member of EU, but still, you know, <laughs> in geographic yeah. Europe. Yeah, yeah. so-called Bojo, anywhere. so-called Bojo variant, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, or come from Asia or Africa, or Latin, America, whatever. So we need to have that uh, knowledge and that that's managed very rapidly. Also, um, one of the things that uh, uh, the European Commission has done is. Uh, invest and support countries to um, start um, so-called sequencing of viruses. So genetic sequencing, That because many most countries actually in the Union did not have much capacity for that. That has greatly improved thanks to massive support from uh, the EU, and um, that has to continue, because that's how we will know whether there is a new funny or nasty variant or mutant that pops up and early on. We also need to, um, you know, look beyond us. First of all, in Europe, what they call in the bureaucratic jargon, uh, political jargon, the neighborhood. I mean, the, our neighbors um, in the Balkans, for example, um, etc., on our eastern borders, southern borders. Uh, I mean, we are not an island that's completely, uh, you know, uh, isolated. Yeah, we are not uh, New Zealand, right? That could isolate itself uh, very easily. Yeah, exactly. So we we need to uh, support um, vaccination efforts and and, and even within the Union uh, have stronger public health institutions, but also in in Africa, um, because the problem is not over until it's over everywhere. And uh, so having that uh, at the same time is is important. And then... um, support um, research for, for example, better vaccines, for vaccines that are against um, what we call pathogen X, then unknown. You can say, how can you do that? Well, you can work on it and be better prepared. Um, Because if we had these vaccines so rapidly, it's not because they suddenly were produced or they came, didn't fall out of the sky. It's based on decades of um, uh, basic research and so we need to do that so there's a lot to do and i hope that it will not slip off the agenda when um, 
the pandemic is no longer headline news because it's in so-called peacetime, in quiet time, that we have to prepare. One of the big problems that we had was um, um, manufacturing of uh, enough vaccines. And uh, so we need uh, what they call warm facilities that can uh, be ready when we need them. What was uh, the one most important uh, lesson learned from the last two years, from your point of view? I think that the nothing can replace uh, leadership. And um, but leadership that is also um, informed by science and is um, and informed by people and, and has trust. I think that is probably for me the most important thing because you can say, okay, most important is that we have vaccines. And as a scientist, I love to think that. Um, but uh, a vaccine without that leadership and without the trust would not have saved so many lives. And uh, so that's for me probably the most important one. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming here. And uh, I hope it's not the last time we see each other. No. So thank you. No, have a good day. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much and thank you for doing this.